There's a lot of talk at the moment about what makes an employer of choice uh, as we head into the autumn of 2021. So I'm delighted to be joined on this week's TRM podcast by Ngazi Weller, who shares her successful uh, corporate career, which was going really well until she hit what she calls a brown ceiling. Uh, we talk about the implications of that and why it took her to a very dark place personally, which was the reason why she co-founded Aurora Wellness. And uh, guys, he shares during this chat the the uh, why she thinks there's a tsunami of mental health challenges coming our way, and most importantly, what we could and should be doing about it as employers and business leaders. Fascinating, fascinating insight from one of the most inspiring wellbeing experts that I know. So, a massive welcome onto the TRM podcast to Ngazi Weller. Ngazi, fantastic to see you again. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Gordon. Good to see you guys. And um, you, we, uh, you were involved recently with uh, some of our members, just helping them uh, understand what, what, uh, what's happening in, in the world of wellbeing. Um, and we'll get into the, what you're seeing and observing uh, in the workplace and across organisations and some of the things that you uh, so the ways in which you're helping organisations uh, develop their wellbeing programmes and opportunity. But um, can we, um, I'd, I'd love to, for you to share if it's okay. You had a, a long, long, a long career with um, uh, ex, um, ex, uh, Excellent. Yeah. And, and, and the story effectively what got you into the wellness space and setting up as co-founder Aurora would be, yeah. uh, would be a great place to start, I think. And uh, don't worry about the the, the lovely little child in the background. That's okay. Cool. Yeah, apologies, guys, if you hear screams and shouts, that's my kid playing Minecraft or Among Us or something. It's the summer holidays after all. Hi. Um, thanks for having me here, uh, Gordon, and the rest of the recruitment network. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, a bit about my story, because mental health, well-being was not in the career plan when I left university at the tender age of 21. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to be Secretary General of the United Nations, actually. That was it. Just small ambitions, you oh, know, yeah. start small. Um, and uh, I uh, got a graduate job working for an excellent company, uh, an oil company, ExxonMobil. And I was there for over 16 years. And um, as they say, man and boy. And I, I had lots of various interesting and challenging and um just really um great roles in the company but my career started to stall um due to to health reasons and also having kids and what i what i found because i'm a plucky young thing who's determined and ambitious and i thought i can i can prove I can prove that I deserve to be promoted, to be seen as better than I am, than I am currently. So I, uh, what I did was just work really, really hard. I did what so many women, and particularly women from um, minority ethnic backgrounds do. I just sacrificed my own self, my family's time, all of that stuff, and put it into work. I was working really hard, really hard and delivering really good work. Um, and I thought that surely if I do this, if I show the company that kind of sacrifice, 
for long enough, then they will have to recognize my hard work, dedication and brilliance and, and promote me. And when that didn't work, when I realized that I had hit what I now term as the brown ceiling, the brown glass ceiling, it's the glass ceiling only a couple of floors lower. Okay. Um, when I hit that and kept bashing my head against that, um, something in me completely broke. It snapped. It was a, it was a, an actual mental break where I realized that no matter what I did or, or gave up um, in, an, in a bid to, to further my career, it wasn't going to work because my face just didn't fit. Mm. I just wasn't the right type of person. And there was nothing I could do about it. And I felt absolutely trapped in a, I felt like um, a bird in a golden cage. I was trapped with what they call the golden handcuffs. I was stuck working a job because I needed the income. I was paid nicely, but not what I was, what I deserved, not compared to some of my other, hate to say it, but white peers. Um, and uh, I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. I was damned if I do and damned if I didn't. And, um, and presumably, just on when you when you say you hit the brown wall, that was brown uh, ceiling. The brown ceiling. You, yeah. That was you'd worked your socks off. You'd, you'd invested. You'd, you'd sacrificed all sorts of things. And there were multiple opportunities with an organisation such as ExxonMobil, and you'd you'd hit walls. You had conversations which which weren't mm. creating opportunity for you. So precisely. So, yeah, that, that, so that, that sort of mental impact was down to, was it, was it sheer frustration or sheer anger or was it sheer? I'll, I'll be completely frank. What it was, was I knew I was being taken advantage of. The good work that I was doing was really valuable. Excellent praise from everybody I worked with, who worked for me, all of that stuff. Mm. But it wasn't being rewarded or recognised on the same level as people who were doing similar or lesser work. So when you're like that, you realize it's just that mentality of this is not fair. This is unjust. And yet I'm stuck doing it. Yeah. And that you can only swallow for so long. And it's difficult. It's a hard place to be, right, Gordon? Because you, you think to yourself, listen, I am being paid. I'm not a slave. I'm being paid and I'm being paid reasonably well, yeah. just not as well as, you know, other people are. Yeah. But but that's okay. You've got a great life. You've got two beautiful kids, a great doting husband. Why are you complaining, right? Suck it up. But at the same time, you know, deep in your core that this isn't actually right. It's not right or fair. And that was the thing that broke me, was I trying to constantly brush away these feelings of um, just on injustice <laughs> against myself and yeah it's a very difficult thing it's ExxonMobil is obviously a global company a huge corporation how do you prove any of that stuff it's impossible so I determined that I would just kind of try and make myself as happy as I could be in my guilt cage um but that didn't work for didn't last for very long it, and it started to seep out in lots of different ways. I'd find myself more often than not fantasizing about ways to end my life. 
I'd find myself thinking things like, ooh, if I, um, if I just jerk the car, will I roll off the bridge? And then people think, oh, it's a tragic accident and they'll be fine. Could I, um, if I slow down now when I'm crossing the road, then the bus will have to knock me over. But would that leave me paralyzed or will it kill me outright? Which one, which one? I used to just wake up disappointed every day that I hadn't been taken in my sleep. I just wanted to, to die. Um, but it, it's, a, and it's a tragic thing, this suicidal ideation. And it became the norm for me. It became normal to think that my family would be better off with life insurance money than me. Generally, I thought that was the selfish, the selfless thing to do it would be, if I was truly responsible, I would just leave them with six figures here. And, you know, my I planned the whole thing out. My husband's young enough, he could remarry. The kids are young enough, they'd forget about me soon enough, they'd have a new stepmom, it'd be fine. The only reason I'm hanging on is because I'm selfish. And, it, that just shows how insidious and dangerous um, depression can become, is that those thoughts, those were the good thoughts. That is the, that's the new norm that I was striving for, but didn't quite have the courage to go through with. Um, and it took a long time. I was living in that state for at least a year um, before I had the actual nervous breakdown, the actual mental break where I was sitting on an airplane in between two strangers in business suits, sobbing mercilessly because I was about to touch down at Heathrow and enter the office. And that's when I knew I have got a big problem here, haven't I? Because nothing had happened, but the idea of going into that office where I was again, going to deliver some great work and then go back and still not be recognized for it, that was the point at which I thought I have to get out. And in the period where you started getting into this dark place, in terms of the sort of support, and again, let's not focus on the, on the company itself, but in terms of the support, the, the openness of the conversations, your confidence to share how you're feeling about stuff, were you effectively keeping that to yourself with? Everything. Okay. I was keeping it to myself because of fear. And this is what so many people, all the people that we've spoken to in the work that we've done since we set up Aurora, anybody who's struggling with this, genuinely struggling with this, will find it very difficult to open up. You have to remember back then, mental health was not at the forefront of everyone's minds like it is now post pandemic. Nobody was talking about it. There were some campaigns, but it was limited to a day in a year. Mental Health Awareness Day, yay, let's all focus on it. And then it's get your asses back into work and do the work, yeah. right? So no one's talking about your well-being or your mental health. As far as it go goes or went was, how are you? And the expectation was you'd answer, I'm fine. Uh, the weather's been rubbish and you carry on. So no, I couldn't share it with anyone. There was never an opportunity, never felt right. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't easy. And also it felt like, that would be uh, something used against me to further prove and demonstrate why I didn't deserve any yeah. kind of promotional recognition. So that is why we set up Aurora, to, to change the landscape of mental well-being practices in the workplace, to make it possible for people to open up about these things. Okay, so, so let, let's, let's fast forward to today. Um, we've we've uh, 
hopefully come through the, the, the worst pandemic. It's not going away and we'll live with it for a while. As, as you say, it's opened up lots of debate and more openness about, about uh, mental well-being. And, uh, and we're in a much better place than you were when you faced that situation uh, mm. four or five years ago. Um, you, you um, in, in terms of the, uh, the PCSD, yeah, post post COVID stress disorder. That's yeah. what I coined it. Yeah, you you shared earlier just your thoughts on on the sort of what you call the tsunami of, of mental health challenges coming our way. Can you just can you put that into into context? Why you think this wave is coming our way? It's really simple. We've been living in a state of fear for far too long. So the mental health landscape was bad before COVID. Um, and if you uh, were to talk to Mind or anyone like that, they would tell you statistically, one in four people has been through a mental health um, incident in their lifetime or will go through one, mm. one in four. Globally, that's the, the recognized stat. But the figures actually in the UK pre-pandemic were for every 10 people going to the GP, one would be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. So that's uh, one in 10. By August of last year, that stat had doubled. So according um, to the UK's um, health regulatory bodies, um, th that figure had moved from one in 10 to one in five GPs diagnosing mental ill health. Where we are today, Gordon, it's now a quarter. So the number of people actually living with a recognized diagnosed mental health condition, such as anxiety or depression, has gone from 10% of the population to 25% of the population in the space of a couple of years. Um, and those are the ones who have been diagnosed. And we know that there are a lot of people who like myself, take a long time to get that diagnosis mm. and we it's not it shouldn't be surprising to anyone who's been um around for the last <laughs> two years and the events that that has happened we have we have people who are dealing with grief loss loss of income um change of political circumstances all sorts of stuff that has happened we've had the george floyd there's been a lot mm. a lot mm. for us to all deal with and we're dealing with it without a lot of support without our family around or our friends without our social networks so it is unsurprising that mental health is becoming an increasing problem and that is what we're talking about when we talk about the the tsunami because eventually things will settle back down to normal i know in the uk here we're we've left logs out um, lockdown we're in freedom day everyone's starting to think about getting back to normal um whatever that new normal will be but those issues still remain. So people who have lost someone in the last two years will come back into the workplace having still been grieving a loss. Mm -hmm. And it may or may not have been processed. People who, like myself and my family, who went through COVID um, back in the early days, it was really traumatic. Mm -hmm. I am someone who, as I've explained, had um, issues with mental health. I've had anxiety and depression myself before. It was largely resolved i did a lot of hard work and took a lot of um time and therapy to get over it having caught covid and getting that near 
well, it felt, it felt like a near-death experience, re-triggered the anxiety, and now I'm back taking the medication and doing the counselling just to cope with it. So there will be a lot of people who never had um, <laughs> who never had any mental health conditions before who will be experiencing these things for the first time. There'll be people who had them, who thought they were over it, who have re-entered um, these, these acute phases of anxiety and depression. And um, there'll be people who, uh, who just are dealing with someone else in their circle, in their inner circle, coping with this. These are people who work in your offices. They all need a different kind of support. So let's we'll look at that. But presumably one positive is that so the, the stats are worse, but actually the, the openness is, is, is a lot more better, which might influence the stats. Yeah, even if we didn't have a, even if we didn't haven't gone through what we've just gone through. So, so what are what are you know you, you work with uh, hundreds of employers. What what are the what are the best doing a little bit better than everybody else? Yeah, there is there are lots of companies who are doing a lot of good stuff, right? But essentially, it boils down to this: it is the companies who are doing well are those who are listening to their stuff what they want asking them for a start would be helpful um and then being flexible about how they support those um they're investing in making the most out of the time expertise skills of their most valuable resource their people. I mean, it's all about putting the human back into human resource, right? About teaching, to, about treating people like they exist holistically, not just in your workspace to do the tasks that you've assigned them to do, but that they are whole human beings who are who need um, a lot of support in order to deliver their best. And when you do that, you get the best out of people. But, but that's um, and, and and that to get that presumably is uh, firstly it is a decision by the leadership team strategically that this really matters in your organisation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, it, it genuinely it genuinely has to come from the top. It has to be an understanding that this isn't just a moral imperative because that's what mental health and well-being has always been. Mm. It's always been the right thing to do, yeah. and when push comes to shove, when we have our backs against the wall economically, financially, the right thing is, is irrelevant. Mm. It's an understanding from the leadership. This is a profitable thing to do. This is the fiscally responsible thing to do, right? Because you've got these employees and you need they are their full output in order for us to get ourselves out of this economic crisis that we're in, in order to be as creative, as efficient, as effective as possible, we need people who are fully present in the workplace. In order to be fully present in the workplace, my mind needs to not be preoccupied mm. with things outside, things that I can't control. So I need help in order to process and deal with those things. I need help to bring my whole mind and body into the workplace. We. Um... It'd be a pretty easy conversation around the boardroom table if, if the stats, which are non-refutable, which said that at least one in four is struggling with their overall well-being, and that's that's one non-refutable fact. Equally, mm. it's, it's pretty obvious, as you just said, if everybody's on top of their game, 
mentally as well as physically and, and everything else, you're going to get better performance. And yet, I would imagine that mm -hmm. there's you, you know, mm -hmm. Roar exists because there's lots of organizations who are just a long way away from doing the, 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 the range of things that they could be doing to, uh, to mm -hmm. take it to the next level. So, is it because it's just not there's too much on the agenda? Is it because can't, leaders can't, can't link the, the, the financial return on getting this stuff right? What, what is what is stopping us being moving quicker? There's a there's a lot. There are lots of priorities, conflicting priorities, and and you know it is difficult for leadership to discern which one do I deal with first. In terms of linking the rewards um, with the investment, that work was done pre-pandemic, yeah. right? So there's research from Deloitte um, that shows in January 2020 that for every pound invested wisely in mental well-being you can receive um, uh, a ROI of up to um, 11 times the return depending on what it is you do so the research is there that proves not only is it necessary but it is a worthwhile investment but the issue has there's often been well what do I do so companies are aware that they need to do something and they and what they end up doing is approaching well-being tactically or sporadically. Mm. We've got well-being because we've got an employee assistance program. We got it covered. Well, no, that's not covering it. We've got well-being because we allow people to do flexible working. Well, no, that's also not well-being. The well-being uh, the well-being question in a workplace has to be tackled like any other project, holistically, strategically. It has to be something that is thought of for short, medium and long term that involves the entire corporation that looks at every aspect of what it takes to keep your our employees safe and well and happy. Adi, you, you did a brilliant thing with, uh, with our members when you joined us on our round table recently where you, you created a bit of an, a, a bit of a, an audit and it was quite a, mm. it was quite a it felt quite a brutal tool because <laughs> we're appearing for a lot of us, um, despite thinking we were doing some good stuff. Um, mm. How easy is it for employers to evidence that they're, you know, they're, re they're re really nailing it? And again, I'm not talking to an expert like you, but I'm talking to potential employers, employees that might want to join them, to existing employers. How easy is it for them to evidence, you know, we are all over this and we're doing an amazing job? Right. How do how do employees evidence anything? Like I said, I come from the oil and oil industry. Everything has to be um, proven. Right. We want statistics to measure everything. We had KPIs for everything, but we didn't have any for well-being. I always say that we need to 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 measure our well-being strategy and have KPIs, and we produce templates that employers can use to measure their KPIs and to track. What things should I be tracking to evidence? But if I'm an employee or a potential employee looking to see um, if, it's, if it's actually being done properly, I want to know that this is not just a tick box exercise. Mm. So it's all about clarity and consistency. For me, it's, there, there are, there, we, we've produced something called the Aurora 360 degree well-being strategy and that's what a well-being strategy needs to encompass the four areas is your strategy doing that does it start first and foremost with um getting the feedback 
from the employee, does it? So are you doing any of the discovery phase, which is our first phase, where you go out and actually talk to your employees and find out what they need, what help would they like to see, what's good, what's not good. Um, it's qualitative and quantitative surveys that are timely, it's exit interviews, it's, it's um, all that kind of stuff. Mm. How often do you do it? Not just once during the pandemic yeah. about a specific topic, but regularly so that you can, you can chart um, the feedback that you're getting over time to mm. see that what you're doing is actually working. That's the first thing. Second, it's awareness. Does everybody in the company understand what your company feels about mental well-being? How much of a priority it is for you? Do you have a policy in place that you share in many, many different ways all the time? Does your leadership demonstrate it? Do you bring people like ourselves in to talk about mental well-being? Do you share stories openly? How aware are your staff about what well-being means to your company? That's two. Then it's, it's empowering people. So how equipped and secure are your leaders in talking about mental well-being with their staff and handling those problems? Or do they palm it all off to HR who also are not equipped? So how much coaching and training do you give for your leadership to make sure that they can deal with the mental health issues that they are most likely to see in their employees? Mm. And, and then finally, it's the documentation, it's the policy, the governance piece. So have you put something in place to make sure that this, all the good work that you've done will be sustained over time? If your company is doing all these four, they're ticking all the boxes. If they're not, then something's missing. Yeah. And I've, I've, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I've always thought that, um, that ultimately, clearly, if you've got a, if, if, if within your values, you want to look after people, and it's a cultural thing to look after each other. Um, that really matters. But, but, but equally, the ability of the, the line managers to talk and listen and to coach and to understand and to find the time to care about each and every one of people in the team mm -hmm. must be critical. And, and that's part training, I guess. In, uh, exactly. It. It, it, it's, this is one of the, the legacies of the pandemic is that we are focused now on a different type of leadership. We recognize that leadership has to be something not just about how driven or how good they are at the base job or how good they are at the numbers or how charismatic they are on stage, but how empathic, empathetic or empathic they are as leaders. How can they relate to the people who work for them? Are they able to get people to follow them? Right. And these are skills that we haven't really prized in people before. Um, uh, th th these are these aren't skills that we valued highly in our leaders checklist, if you like, but now they are they are necessary, especially with the new agile dynamic that we we're seeing more and more employed in the workplace. How are you at reading the temperature of your staff um, and that if you if it's if it's not something that you're naturally good at, yes, you need to be coached and trained and shown how to do it. We can't just magically expect a leader to know how to respond when their employee says, I'm not feeling that great. My cousin died last week yeah. of COVID. How am I, how, how, if I'm not trained, I will just respond in a there, there. So uh, how about that yeah. project? How's it going? Do you, do you want a day off? It's, it becomes awkward and uncomfortable. And that's 
everything that it shouldn't be and it doesn't have to be but but teaching that those skills are okay to master and not just okay they're necessary to master um is something that we really focus on yeah yeah fascinating now I, I was um talking with a member recently and again all our members are smes they don't they don't have hr departments particularly they might have had to tell up they don't have hr departments and i was talking about a member who had a scenario where a, a line manager had, had and it was purely down to the skill because the person was a genuinely caring person they didn't know how to deal with the situation effectively and it was a internationally based office so they were they were removed from the sort of central central office functions that maybe could have helped out and, and, and ultimately when we got down to the root cause of why this situation had flared in something that could have been avoided it was down to the competency of the line manager who just didn't necessarily have the skills to to coach, to empathise, to listen, to to work through a solution, and, and it was um, which just sort of confirms what you were saying. Mm. Um, who is um, who is um, so, so? Just if you were to summarise what Aurora can can could do for for a for a, for a business, what, what in in briefly, what, what would it be? It's it's working with businesses to identify what's needed to be done in each of those four areas. So yeah. in in um, discovery phase, reaching out to your employees, two in the awareness, three in the empowerment and training and coaching your line managers, and then also in the in the um, governance piece. Uh, where we really specialize is in helping you make sure that you've got comprehensive strategy, not yeah. tactics, yeah. And, and then filling the gaps. We, we excel at the awareness piece, we excel at the uh, empowerment piece and we support with the discovery and the governance piece. Yeah. So yeah. we deliver workshops, coaching, one-to-ones, talks, all that kind of stuff to make sure that you you, you have a, um, a strategy that works for you because it needs to be, it needs to be credible, right? Your staff need to be, to believe that you are serious about them right not just doing something because you have to it needs to be something that's feasible that works for your business it's not too onerous that it focuses on quick wins but also sustainable long-term things it has to be something that works for you and then finally it has to be personal it, it can't be one size fits all it has to depend on how many employees you have and where they're based and how you work and what industry you're in and what problems people are facing so so we deliver on all of those fronts. And it's just very important to us that your employees feel that they are cared for. Because I know the majority of employers are good people. The line managers who effectively failed me were still good people. They just didn't have the right coaching and support. And that's what we want to make sure is no longer a problem for people. Yeah, and as you say, I'm sure most most companies have got some low hanging fruit, but actually, it's a, it's a this is a classic. It's a journey, isn't it? You know, you'll never Absolutely. you'll never you'll never nail this, but it's about focusing and get better and better. Who's um? Is there any sort of business or organisation that maybe we, we we might know or heard of that, that you say, yeah, this is this is these these are the sort of guys that are embracing best practice. Okay, so I was I was thinking about this, and lots we, we hear about the big guys doing lots of different great things, whether it's flexible working policies or whether um, it's uh, allowing uh, absences for for grief and all those kinds of things. 
the, the, but when you, are, when you ask me, who do I look to for my gold standard with mental well-being? It's one of my clients. I hope they don't mind me name dropping them. That's FSL Aerospace. They are the dream client. So they came because they knew they had some issues with mental well-being and they didn't know where to get the support from. And they have listened. They looked at the 360 and they have filled every single one of those holes. Wow. So they and they started just as we we have recommended. They started by reaching out to their employees and finding out what they needed. They did the awareness piece. They realized there are gaps for their employee, their um, line managers. So they have trained their line managers on our Angel of Wellbeing for People Managers course, which is six months long. Mm-hmm. And they so their line managers now equipped. Uh, they've put in place someone to focus on well-being for the organization and are supporting her with mentorship through me. And they have put together a brilliant um, well-being policy and KPIs, which are stewarded at management level on a um, quarterly basis. I mean, they are doing absolutely everything right. And it is paying dividends for them. Absolute dividends. So it's, I mean, having a great well-being strategy doesn't mean you won't have anybody with well-being issues. Yeah. It just means that you're less likely to have any um, disruption in your business because of it, because yeah. they'll be supported early enough, receive the help, and be able to return to work stronger and fitter. Yeah, yeah, no fascinating. Okay, final question for you, Ngaisi. Uh, mm-hmm. Who, um, I know you inspire a lot of people in the work that you do, <laughs> and you, we've had you on a round t- table, which is pretty inspiring. What, who's any individual, it doesn't have to be to do with wellness, but that is particularly inspiring you at the moment? Um, there are loads of people who are inspirational. I look to people who, um, who don't let life circumstances overwhelm them and, and who, who um, really look to how they can turn a situation that would have got anybody else down into helping others. So I look at people like, I've always been inspired by Nelson Mandela. Mm. It's a bit of a cliche, but he's brilliant. Mm. Um, I like uh, Malala Yousaf. Um, I've been inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so yeah, any, uh, but truth, truthfully, it's, it's everyday people. It's people who will not let life grind you down as the saying goes. Yeah, I find those guys inspirational. Love it, love it. And Gazi, it's been brilliant. Uh, please, please do urge anybody listening who, who wants to uh, get even better than they are or, or start out in the journey or, or, or perfect it wherever you're at, just to reach out to Ngazi and the guys at Aurora. Um, thank you for joining us on this beautiful day. Great to hear your uh, little one in the background. Um, um, <laughs> not at all disruptive, and, um, but I really appreciate you spending some time with us. So thank you. We'll see you again soon. Thank you very much, Gordon.